informatics. Informatics. Informatics? Public health informatics. You know, informatics does sound like a sort of confusing, mystifying term. Okay, we need to have a better definition for public health informatics. Get the right information to the right person at the right time. Public health informatics is not IT. We, the informatics people, are going to bring you the data and the tool. Oh my god, he said informatics. Where business processes meet people meet technology. Hi, this is Piper Hale, and you are listening to Inform Me Informatics. For this episode, I'm bringing you part two of my conversation with Vivian Singletary, the director of the Public Health Informatics Institute, and David Addis, the director of the Focus Area for Compassion and Ethics in Global Health, or FACE. In the last episode, as you may remember, we talked about big data and how consumers may opt in, or not, to supply their health data to private companies. This time, we'll be looking at population health and public health practice and unpacking health data ethics through that lens. Let's jump back into the conversation where I asked Vivian and David how to weigh competing interests when considering the ethics of using specific health data. I provided an example to get the discussion started. With HIV, we want accurate surveillance in order to inform treatment and prevention services but we also want to keep people's HIV status confidential, especially in situations where it might be unsafe for their status to be known in general to their community. So how do you weigh those interests? How do you determine what is ethical based on all these complex factors? That's the key question. And I think the challenge is in really being aware of the different interests and bringing them into the conversation. The example that you just described is sort of a classic one. And too often, we don't bring all the voices into the room and ask the question, what do we as a society think about this? How do we weigh these competing interests? For the example of vaccination, we require immunization to enter school, but we realize that too strong an insistence on that is going to provoke even a larger backlash than we're seeing now. And so it's this tension between really making the norm what is in the public interest, but allowing some safety valve so that the resistance to those norms which benefit all of us doesn't become as large as it is now and is threatening the public good. So I think part of it is having the conversation and recognizing whose interests are in favor of an intervention, whose interests might be harmed, and really weighing that as at a societal level in a way that respects all of the different views. And sometimes that's challenging, which is why we have groups in opposition to some of the public health measures that we have, like immunization. I think the use case that you gave about HIV is very interesting. I think what comes into play when we talk about data ethics here is in our new digital world that we live in is making sure that we're doing the right things from the data side, the technical side, that we are protecting people as best as we can. You know, we hear about data breaches every other day. You know, maybe something happened a year ago. Maybe we might hear about it. And so we're still dealing with a lot of this. So on the surface, there's nothing wrong with collecting that data. The ethics comes in how we care for this data, protect it, and make sure in the protection of that data that we're protecting 
those individuals and their privacy to make sure that we're not impacting them because diseases or statuses could have certain negative connotations and cultures, and we don't want individuals to be subject to that. We have to also be careful in terms of how we are portraying population. So if you think about Metro Atlanta, for example, and we post a big disease burden map of, let's say, HIV, and it's in one particular part of the metro Atlanta area. Even though that burden is true there, we, from the data perspective, have to be careful about that in terms of how we represent them, because we could end up damaging that area economically. All of the people that live in that area, whether they have that disease or not, can be ostracized. So even though data sharing is important, we absolutely have to be careful in how we handle that and how we how open it is, honestly, and think about who needs to see it, who we need to educate, and why they're seeing it. Are they part of the intervention here, or are we just going to you know, open it up to everybody for them to call a judgment on something? So those are just examples of being careful, even if something is true. That's a great point. And I think in public health, we have to not only use data and share it and analyze it, but also interpret it and present it in a way that protects individuals and populations, as you've said. That's a great point. So to think about how we protect people on a population level, on a personal level, we do have guiding rules in the U.S. in the form of HIPAA and other laws and regulations but there really isn't the same level of oversight on population level uh, de-identified data. So Vivian, you gave the great example of a metro Atlanta community that might have a high HIV incidence. You know, we don't protect the data of communities, for example, in the same way legally. So what are your ethical concerns or recommendations for considering these issues when it comes to the population level rather than the individual level? This is a really complicated one, but I think it goes back to some of the principles that, David, you called out early on about ethics, you know, doing the right thing. So what is the right thing for us to do with this data? What is the purpose of the collection and use of this data? Because we don't want to cause harm. I think that's another principle that we have to abide by. So being very clear and then understanding that we don't want to cause harm, we're actually trying to do something positive to maybe reverse the trend that we're seeing. So those are two key guiding principles that we have to use in terms of thinking about how we go about using that data. We have to be careful about the words that we use in the interpretation of the data as well, that we don't cause a new stigma around a particular thing that we're looking at, whether it's the disease or something else. We have to be very thoughtful about that. So I think we have to bring in the cultural perspective or social cultural piece of that as well and think about it almost putting ourselves in the shoes of those populations like what if that was me what if that was my community what would I want people to say and how would I want them to represent me so coming at it from the perspective of sometimes not being so analytical from just the hardcore data perspective but bringing some personal kind of skin in the game and um, wanting to be 
as protective of the people that we are collecting data from and making sure that the data that we're using is used in a way that brings help and not more harm. I would say that it would be helpful to bring in the voices of people who are affected by the data, have some town halls to present some of these challenges and get input from people who are living their ordinary lives day to day and really get the input from them as to their concerns and the cautions that they would have for us. So this is a difficult question. What can public health practitioners do to apply ethics to their own practice, whether that's questions they can ask themselves or best practices they can follow? What are some things that our listeners who work in public health can do to ensure they're adhering to ethical best practices? The first thing would be to think to imagine, to ask the question, how might this intervention or the use of these data cause harm? We don't often think in those terms because we're thinking about the benefits. So just stopping, thinking, and asking the question, I think is the first step. Listening to people who might have a different view or who might be impacted by the use of the data would be the second thing that I would encourage all of us to bring into our daily practice. I like the idea of incorporating a lot of what we discussed already, but if I am a practitioner, really being very clear on, again, the purpose of the data, how we're going to use it, thinking about some of the edge cases, even though I may be coming at it from a very positive standpoint, what are some of the edge cases in terms of longer-term impact that I may have not thought through? So really trying to challenge yourself and think about What if? What if this data got into the hands of someone? What does it mean? Will it harm somebody? How will it impact them? So thinking through some of those things. The other piece that has come to me lately through some just general conversation is also about data retention. So while there is a real purpose and need for certain types of data, how long do we actually need to retain this data so that it doesn't potentially have some other long-term lasting effect on somebody or unexpected effect on someone. So maybe we're collecting community-level data or maybe we're collecting some specific data on an individual or population, but we may only need to keep it for a certain period of time and then we can let it go. For example, you have a child that was in school, they had a run-in with an officer, a police officer, they had some, not necessarily incarceration, but maybe they did something very petty. That information, there's some type of alert system that may alert the school that the child is having some trouble. Why should the school keep that for 20 years if the child is not there and it could have some lasting effects and it's something that would be expunged from their record at a certain age and no one else need to know about it? That's just a a really kind of an edge case example. But these are real examples because as data storage becomes cheaper and cheaper for us, it's difficult for us to purge. (laughs) We never want to get rid of data. It, It becomes a great resource for future analytics and research papers and different things, but I think it's something that we need to think about and continue to challenge ourselves on. Great. Okay, so this is probably, your your answers are probably going to be things you've touched on already in this conversation for this question, but what issues regarding public health data and ethics keep you up at night? For me, the issues around public health ethics and data that keep me up at night 
are the unintended consequences, the consequences that we can't see related to our actions and related to how we use data, and particularly the potential for harm. We have a lot of well-meaning people in public health, some of the best do-gooders, I think, on the planet, and yet we don't often see the potential for the unintended consequences of our actions. And that's the things that we don't know and that we don't know that we don't know are what keep me up at night. Justice Brandeis of the Supreme Court in 1928, he said, the greatest dangers to liberty lurk in insidious encroachment by men of zeal, well-meaning but without understanding. Well said. The peace that really keeps me up all night is that we haven't quite figured it all out. We need some more guidance around it to help all of us, not just public health practitioners, but others that are in the game of big data. And maybe we need to come together in some way to put together some frameworks or templates around how we can make sure that we are doing the right thing, that we are doing good, and that we are bringing ethics into everything that we're doing with this data. We need to make sure that the ethics discussion is at the table because it's good to be well-meaning, but then you can't take back the consequence of what happens, maybe not tomorrow, but well down the line. So we need to be more future thinking as we continue to push the boundaries of data analytics with this whole big data movement. I agree. And I think the good news on this or the silver lining is that if we're aware of unintended consequences, we're aware that we don't know, we can come together and find out. And if we're not overly identified with ourselves as doing good, we can recognize when we're doing harm and then make adjustments so that we avoid that in the future. That's great. So just being constantly critical and aware of your own actions and That's consequences. That's right. Yeah. That's great. And maybe it's having some people around us who help remind us to be critical or who serve that function of being an irritant or a questioner. Those are not always pleasant people to have in your inner circle, but they serve a very good purpose. Is that advice that you would give to public health practitioners is, is find an irritant and place them prominently <laughs> in your organization? <laughs> Well, Bill Fage used to say that you need naysayers to eliminate a disease, but keep them on as consultants rather than as employees so you can listen to their advice when you need it, but you don't have to hear it every day. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> as we closed out the discussion, I asked both David and Vivian the question we ask all our guests, how they define public health informatics. You heard Vivian's answer on the last episode. Here's what David had to say. I see two parts of public health informatics. One is it's information. It's not just data. So it carries meaning. And hopefully that meaning is used to improve health outcomes. This is information that is infused with the potential for health. But then there's informatics. And that's the form of the data are automated and they're generally rapid. They can be manipulated, they can be sent around the world immediately and repurposed. And that raises the issue of ethics and the need to be vigilant about how the data are used. Thank you again to Vivian Singletary and David Addis for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I so enjoyed venturing into the thorny and complicated world of health data ethics with both of you. And I hope all of our listeners did too. This podcast is a project of the Public Health Informatics Institute, which is a program of the Task Force for Global Health. 
Visit phii.org to learn more about all our informatics work. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at phinformatics. The music used in this episode was composed by Kevin McLeod. As I mentioned on the last episode, we still want to hear from you on your definition of public health informatics. Leave us your thoughts in a voicemail at our podcast call-in line 678-974-0344, and we may use your answer on a future episode. The phone number will also be in episode notes. I'm Piper Hale, and you've been informed. Periodically, while we're talking, you'll just hear a burst of applause from the next room. Oh, that's not going to be easy to cut out of the audio. (laughs) You guys are just so good at talking about data ethics that people are standing outside the room and applauding.